The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Hello again and welcome to the eighth episode of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, 29th of April, and in this podcast you will find out more about the latest updates on the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, the results of the French and Slovenian elections, the report of the Council of Europe on press freedom, and the activation of the conditionality mechanism against Hungary. And as always, we will present to you the best editorials and opinion pieces on the result of the French elections and the economy and its impact on society. And now, let's dive right into the most important news of the week. Today's first update is on the progress of the war in Ukraine and the statements made by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. The risk is serious, real. It should not be underestimated. Lavrov said in an interview referring to the possible nuclear war. NATO is, in essence, going to war against Russia by arming Ukraine, the minister continued. On the subject of arms supplies to Ukraine, this week news broke out that the German government decided to supply anti-aircraft tanks to the Eastern European country. Meanwhile, the war continues to make victims and refugees. According to the latest UN data, more than 5 million people have been forced to leave Ukraine since the beginning of the conflict. The war between Russia and Ukraine is also affecting gas supplies to European countries. This week, Russia suspended gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. The new procedure for buying and selling gas from Russia requires payments to be made in rubles. Following the Warsaw government's refusal to pay in rubles, Gazprom sent a notice to Poland stating that Russian gas supplies to the country will be completely interrupted. We now completely change the subject and talk of the results of the elections held last Sunday in France and Slovenia. In France, incumbent President Macron beat challenger Le Pen in the runoff, collecting 58.5% of the votes. Macron is the first French president since 2002 to be elected for two consecutive terms. I am no longer the candidate of one party, but the president of us all, stated Macron in a speech following his victory. On the other side, in her concession speech, Le Pen said that now more than ever, I will maintain my commitment to France and the French. In pronouncing these words, Le Pen was likely referring to the vote to renew the French parliament, which will take place next June the 12th. Let's stay on the topic of elections and go to Slovenia, where also last Sunday a vote was held to renew the parliament. The ballot boxes awarded Robert Golub's freedom movement 41 seats out of the 90 in the parliament. The Democratic Party of Slovenia of current president Janez Jansa followed with 27 seats. The remaining seats went to the new Slovenia parties, the Social Democratic Party and the La Sinastra Party. Moving on to another topic, let's now talk about press freedom. This week, the Council of Europe published a report on the state of press freedom across the continent. According to the document, the number of press freedom alerts among the member states of the Council of Europe increased by 41% during 2021. There were 282 alerts in 35 countries last year, 200 more than in 2020. Among the alerts is the death of six journalists. An alert, the report says, is any kind of violent or intimidating action aimed at restricting press freedom or preventing media workers from doing their jobs. As many as 47% of the alarms recorded were caused by central governments, a sign of a strategy to impose an illiberal model 
in full violation of the fundamental principles of the rule of law and human rights. The document also mentioned SLAPS, an acronym used to identify the lawsuits that businessmen or government officials bring against journalists and activists to hinder their work. The issue of human rights violations is also at the center of the activation by the European Commission of the conditionality mechanism to suspend EU funds to Hungary. Budapest government should receive 40 billion euros in European funds by 2027. But for years, Hungary has been at war with Brussels because of repeated violations of the rule of law. These include suppression of press freedom, lack of judicial independence, laws that violate political and civil rights and discrimination against minorities. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban called the measure unfair and aimed at favoring the country's left wing. This is the first time the mechanism has been triggered. We continue to talk about European legislation with the enactment of the Digital Services Act. The EU has reached agreement on a new regulation that will force tech giants like Google and Meta to more aggressively monitor illegal content on their platforms. Failure to comply with this new law can result in fines of up to 6% of the company's global annual revenue. Still on the subject of the digital world this week, the social network Twitter was purchased by Elon Musk. Considered to be one of the richest men in the world, the entrepreneur bought Twitter for a sum of around 41 billion euros. Although it is not one of the most popular social networks, Twitter is still one of the most influential platforms in the public debate, particularly in America. Many of the analyses done on the purchase of the social network focused on the fact that now all nine of the richest people in the world own a large media company. From the news, we now turn to the comments of the week, which analyze the French election result. We will start with an editorial that appeared in the German newspaper Frankfurter Allemagne Zeitung. The journalist Nicolas Bender points out that this election result should not be read only as a victory of Macron. First of all, one must consider the abstention. A whopping 28% of voters did not go to polls, Bender points out. This would also be evidence that despite his re-election, Macron is very unpopular. His response to crises and protests has been to create participatory projects, but little or nothing concrete followed, argues the journalist. Another important aspect that emerged from the result is the upheaval of the French political landscape with the disappearance of the historical opposition between left and right. The anti-Le Pen bloc has crowned a weak winner, the journalist says. The editorial concludes with an observation. Now that Macron will not be able to run again, he no longer needs Le Pen as an adversary. Perhaps he will be able to fight her effectively. From Germany, we cross the channel and go to the United Kingdom. On the pages of The Times, journalist Hugo Rifkind looks instead at the other side, namely at Le Pen's voters. The elation of the defeated shows that those outside the political mainstream care less about power than being heard, is the British journalist's thesis. Starting with Le Pen's post-result speech, which she calls a resounding victory, Rifkind explains that this could help us understand why political figures who once would have been on the fringes now do so well. The reason would be Le Pen's ability to attract the vote of peripheral France. By this definition, he means those working class people who live in places that culturally no longer exist. Le Pen's voters, the editorial argues, would not really be in favor of measures such as fines for those who wear the veil in public. They would instead be looking for a sense of respect and of being heard. 
In conclusion, Rifkain hopes that the parliamentary elections in June will go the same way, with a defeat for Le Pen, but one that will make those who feel excluded from political life feel heard. In closing this first series of comments on the French elections, we go to the other side of the ocean and to the pages of the New York Times. According to Philippe Marlier, a professor at University College of London, Macron won, but France is still in danger. French democracy has never been in worse health, states the professor. French politics is now driven by three forces, headed by Mr. Macron, Miss Le Pen and the leftist Jean-Luc Mélenchon, pulling in opposite directions. Marlier continues. Add to that a record abstention rate and you have a recipe for instability. Against this backdrop, the far right wanted to present itself as the only plausible opposition to the president, the columnist argues. About a third of the votes in the first round went to the far right, Marlier writes. France is a country uncomfortable with pluralism, multiculturalism and political liberalism, the article concludes, noting that this is a condition revealed by the steady rise of the far right. Meanwhile, a significant commentary on Macron's re-election came from Matteo Renzi, leader of the Italian party Italia Viva, which is a member of the European Democratic Party. Congratulations to President Macron. A crushing victory, a beautiful page of hope for France and Europe. Proud to be with him from the start, the Italian politician tweeted. For today's second series of editorials, we change the subject to talk about the economy and its social consequences. We begin with the Italian newspaper Il Corriere della Sera. For columnist Aldo Cazzullo, there is one problem that French, Italians and European citizens more generally share. We're all sitting on a social bomb, prices. Until recently, the social bomb was considered the lack of jobs, the journalist recalls. Rising prices of bread, pasta, gasoline and gas. Consumer goods that we all buy, Kazula writes. The progressive increase in prices, writes the journalist, combined with low and stagnant wages, has caused a general impoverishment of workers. Analyzing the Italian situation specifically, the journalist believes that for 30 years Italy has grown little and badly, but inflation was under control. Now that it is exploding, the purchasing power of workers is collapsing. In the conclusion of his editorial, Cazzullo proposes a solution to the problem. A great plan to cut taxes on working incomes and to make it easier for entrepreneurs to increase salaries. Let's cross the Alps and go to France, reading the newspaper Le Figaro. For Sebastian Ley, entrepreneur and researcher at the Thomas More Institute, it is often said that the French are not interested in the economy. That's why, according to the French columnist, economics was only superficially discussed in the presidential debate. But interested or not for Ley, it will be the citizens who will suffer the consequences of a weakening of the economy. Although we are coming off an 18-month period of post-COVID growth, Ley notes, this has not been used to correct our budget imbalances. With the return to European balanced budget policies by 2024, the researcher explains France runs the risk of having to resort to a brutal budgetary adjustment to receive money quickly. This will not be an easy situation for the new government to handle. In concluding the editorial, Lay states that the new government will have to comply with European rules and to do so while addressing issues such as claims on purchasing power, energy transition and reindustrialization. The last comment of the day comes from the Spanish newspaper El País. 
In Spain, a law has recently come into force that requires companies to keep a record of their employees' wages. For the editorial staff of the Iberian newspaper, the economy also benefits from the fight against wage inequality. Many studies denounce the cost of the wage gap to the world economy, the columnist said. According to the study cited in the article, 143 billion euros are lost each year due to the lower wages received by women. Of course, the wage gap is also a personal issue, which translates into a lower capacity for both savings and investment. The registry is only a first step, however, the editorial concludes, suggesting that we properly account for this unpaid contribution to offer realistic solutions. We are at the end of our eighth episode of the podcast, The Window on the World. In the next episode, we will continue to update you on European issues and on developments in the conflict in Ukraine. Research and writing for this episode was done by Daniel Rutza. And behind the mic, it's me, your host, Gail Rago. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And until next time, take care and goodbye. <laughs>